You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies. It's another of our fatherhood edition episodes. And we are joined today by Jeff Wright. Jeff does a podcast named the Pop Culture Quorum Dio Podcast, reviewing movies and things like that with Dr. Jared Moore, who we already had on the show. He also does a podcast called Backwoods Belief. He is primarily, though, a pastor in Cookville, Tennessee, a Midway Baptist Church, and he writes for Servants and Heralds, if people are familiar with that. I, of course, am Nathan, your humble and obedient host, and we've got Jake and Ben, you're going to be hearing from as well, just like always. But let me just go ahead and get us to it. Once again, the context is a movie that a father should watch with his son. And Jeff had his own answer to that, which you'll hear us discuss. All right, we are here with Jeff Wright for another in our fatherhood series. And we've been sort of spontaneously doing this with all of our guests, Jeff, just to get our bearings. What is like a fantastic movie night with Jeff Wright? There's no wrong answer because your partner in crime, Jared, already said Predator was like his jam and what he liked to fall asleep to. So what is the perfect movie night for Jeff Wright? Man, it'd be a horror movie. And so, yeah, I I watch a lot of horror, a lot of it, which is garbage. But because my appetite is so voracious, a lot of movie nights, my dear wife has to sit with me through what she calls another stupid horror movie. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? Uh, That's kind of a tough question. I actually thought about what would be my favorite movie answer. I'm going to go with Exorcism of Emily Rose in the horror genre. Love that movie. Okay. I have actually never seen The Exorcism of Emily oh, Rose. Oh, I've, brother. I've seen it. I'll be controversial and mean to our guest. I hate that movie. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry, Jeff. I'm really sorry. And what? I'm, but I'm not a horror movie guy. opinion but... on that uh, based on? <laughs> ben has zero <laughs> appetite for that kind of thing. I have zero appetite. I, I like it at best spiced into other things that I do like. So not as a genre in, in, its, in its own right. But I think just the theme of I've seen the darkness and now I'm done fighting for the light because the darkness is too dark. I just found that super irritating and stupid. <laughs> I'm among Philistines. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that gives us our bearings and we've already had a nice controversial s- stat. We'll see if Ben wants to stab our guest in the back. <laughs> anymore always good to <laughs> only, start the only podcast. in the, only in the front only in the front yeah yeah, yeah. stab you to your face yeah no i always like to make sure that we start our podcast with something like that as quickly as possible okay so <laughs> jeff the question was what movie would you pick for a father-son watch like what is one movie that every father should watch with his son and your answer was ford versus ferrari ford versus ferrari a james mangled Joint, our new leader of Harry, or not Harry Potter. Wow. I said our new, wow. and then my brain that's, finished that's it with Harry Potter. <laughs> but the new fearless leader of the guy with the whip and the fedora. Indiana Jones, we call him. In, that's Indiana his name, Jones. yeah. Yes. Thank you. So we'll have to spend a, at least a, t- a tiny bit of this podcast speculating about Indiana Jones based on what we know from Ford versus Ferrari. But uh, why'd you pick this movie, Jeff? What, you, what do you like about this for a father-son watch? So, gentlemen... I organized my delight in this movie under three headings because I wanted to give you something. You're a Baptist uh, preacher. Was, He's a Baptist preacher, yes. I didn't alliterate it, though, and there's no chicken <laughs> casserole. First, there are good men, right? When I think about the question about things I want my sons to watch with me, this movie is built on good men. 
they're idealists. They're they're driven to complete a singular cause, and it creates not just a kind of virtue within them, but it it raises them and helps them kind of transcend their historical moment. And so I, I appreciate that these guys are likable. They're not feminized. They're kind of throwback, unreconstructed males. And through just saying this hard thing needs to be done, we want to slay this dragon. We want to overcome this barrier. They are ennobled. And Mm -hmm. you see just sort of the goodness of men pursuing difficult tasks. The next kind of is related to it. There's this good cause that brings so much out of them. And I've already mentioned the camaraderie, but the thing that I think would, would cause a viewer to truly fall in love with the movie is the scene midway through the narrative where they get into a fist fight in the yard. Mm-hmm. And we just don't get to see things like that in movies where men who are friends, they're making common cause, they work through their frustrations with each other with an actual fist fight. But they do it again in the most delightful way. There, there's some real stuff to be worked through. But, you know, there's that great scene, and I think I, I read or saw in a director's commentary that was ad-libbed. Matt Damon's character's looking for a weapon to use against his buddy, and he first grabs a can of green beans, I think, which would do some real damage. And mm-hmm. instead of using it, he sets it on the ground and picks up a loaf of bread and starts, you know, whacking his friend with it. And one of the things I want my kids to see, my sons to see in particular, is that sometimes guys are going to fight, but guys need to fight in a way that's consistent with the the trouble that's in front of them. You, you might work through this with your friends this way, but you need to be self-controlled even in the midst of that. And then lastly, just sketching all this out, it has a truly evil man. I don't know where it came from. I heard it attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but I heard once upon a time that it's a truly evil story that doesn't have a truly evil character. Hmm. And in this movie, the evil, I think, is very realistic for the kind of evil your sons are going to run into. He's a bureaucrat. If you've ever read Jaber Crow, he's the man across the desk. Or if you're, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, he would work for NICE, you know, in that hideous strength. And it's mm-hmm. sort of this passive-aggressive, again, effeminate, manipulative evil that men actually kind of run into more often than they run into the classic 80s schoolyard bully who they're going to have to take down physically. And so these guys have to learn to, like, press on. There's not really much we can do with this guy, so we need to just plow ahead. So there, there's three points in answer. Anything you want to do with that? Well... What you have just described, I think, is what people in a derogatory fashion call a dad movie. I mean, this is like every John Wayne movie. The three quality, you have good men, a good cause, men working through. I mean, every John Wayne movie is going to have some scene where he has to beat the tar out of the guy that he likes. Now, I think he'd probably put the bread down and grab the green bean can. But that's just because people have cartoonish abilities to absorb pain in all John Wayne movies. And then there are usually in a John Wayne movie, they're the real bad guys that just have to be shot. But then yes, there are like the officious bureaucrats and the, the people standing in the way and that sort of thing. I mean, I think it's, that's another, that's one of those things that people like about the Die Hard, the original Die Hard movie. It's actually something I find a little bit annoying about the original Die Hard movie is that there's so much time spent with, people showing up with bad ideas that don't trust John McClane. Like it, it go, you know, I just want to see him fight the terrorists, but instead it's like the CIA and the FBI and the cops and the everybody. But I admit that that is something that that people respond to about a movie like that. So I think you've described like a really classical formula, something that, you know, you used to get 10 of these back in the day that had these kinds of, well, I think that's, 
I think that's part of my appreciation. It is such a kind of a retrograde movie in that sense. The kind of thing that maybe at once upon a time I could pull out a stack of, you know, in a year and say, hey, guys, which ones of these do you want to watch? But this one came to us in a time where these kind of movies are verboten. And mm-hmm. you're just kind of surprised to see it It showed up somewhere and it had the kind of talent attached to it that it did. Of course, I'm, I'm a low-key car guy. And so the fact that mm-hmm. it was, you know, expressed through high speed and whatnot didn't hurt anything. The I guess the the unique feature I'd point to, you're right that it's a dad movie, but the unique feature that I would point to, maybe that does set it apart a little bit, is that there's a real sense in which the bad guy wins. You know, Ken Miles is denied this historic victory that is one of the few truly great accomplishments in motorsports that's available to him at that stage of his life. But he picks back up and keeps on going. And, you know, the way the movie kind of finishes out, he gains a kind of immortality through that. So the bad guy took this temporal victory. Sometimes they sometimes they do, but the man who gets back up and gets back in the arena has a meaningful route to to overcoming even that. And so I kind of appreciate the long-term view it takes on history, you know. Yeah, it's nice. And I think Ben you were saying you were reading up on the history. Yeah. That's that's real, yeah. right? The Christian Bale having to pull back. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's real. Apparently, what he said after the race is, I think I've been screwed, except it, that's not what he said. But then, apparently, it, this made me like this guy more, Ken Miles. He, as he was ex- talking about it to an LA Times reporter, he said, hey, please be careful in how you report what I have said. I work for these people. They've been awfully good to me. It makes you like the guy. Like, well, that sentiment's captured in the movie, right? He said, when he walks off with Shelby. Yeah. You, yeah. You know, you promised yeah. me a chance to race, not the victory or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah well, and that's the character that's growth for him. Because at the beginning, he's, you know, I won't have anything to do with anything but winning. And you know, by, by buying into the idea that there's these other goods that he should pursue as well, he's actually compromised. He loses his victory. But it's presented as growth. This is a guy who learns to subvert like that hardcore individualism, or at least subdue it and aim it at greater good that that's growth for ken miles mm-hmm. yeah yeah it does have to be a historical timepiece time capsule type of a movie in order to get that kind of masculinity on screen and i guess that's just worth saying or worth pointing out mm-hmm. you can't have that sort of thing but you have to have it in the confines of a historical narrative where we are pointing out that this is the way that people were and isn't that a thing mm-hmm. uh, and at best mangled or a director uh, presents it without comment. And I think that he, uh, I think he does more than that, presents it with some nostalgia. Mm-hmm. But most, e- even most narratives that are going to, you know, we're, gonna, we're going to interrogate the 50s or the 60s or the 40s, we're going to have, we're going to have to make some pretty overt comment on the toxicity of it all. And instead we just get a pretty fun action movie that made me pretty excited about Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get to that because we can't end this podcast with without that. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think when you look across James Mangold's career, because this is a, the man that did Walk the Line and Logan, and uh, now he's doing geriatric. Girl Indiana Interrupted. Jones. Girl Interrupted, yes. Well, that would be the exception. But he's a man who likes mid-century America. He's a man who likes to tell stories of men who are out of their time who are he, he wants to look back i think and that can be 
I think that's the strength of his work. This is one of the only movies by him that I really unabashedly love. Logan wasn't for me. I just, I don't know. I didn't care. And I walk the line. I actively kind of dislike because I think it sells the story of Johnny Cash pretty short by leaving a little important part called the gospel out of it, which isn't, you know, say what you will about Johnny Cash's faith, but Johnny Cash believed that Johnny Cash had faith. Like it's part of the story. And so for them to just turn it into June Carter saved his life. I mean, mean, of course, June Carter saved his life. Like that's a big part of it. And that's the romance. And I, I wouldn't have it any other way, but you have to have Johnny Cash, the Christian in order to say you're telling the story of Johnny Cash. And so I'd say this guy's batting average for my money isn't that great, but Ford versus Ferrari is a a really strong movie that I was a little surprised by actually, like, like you guys were kind of saying, I kept waiting for it to take a bad direction or, or suddenly interrogate th- this whole manliness thing in a way that, we wouldn't approve of. I kept waiting for the wife character to have some kind of a lame something, but she's good. She's just a good supportive wife character. And other than that, they don't feel the need to add a bunch of women characters just to have them just for their bingo card. Yeah. There's no kind of prodigy mechanic who retools the, you know, the GT 40 in a way that no man could see. I mentioned earlier that scene about them fighting, but maybe my second favorite scene in the movie is when Ken Miles has, you know, the bureaucrat scores an early win and mm-hmm. keeps Ken Miles off the first team to compete at Le Mans with a GT platform. And so he's at the shop listening to the race, just turning a wrench, you know? I mean, that in and of itself, a classic kind of guy therapy scene. And she shows up and she turns the station to us to just a song and they dance there together in the, in the shop. And I, it's such a wonderful picture of a wife coming in a way to support a husband who's at a rough spot. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also such a classy view of how marriage can work in beautiful fact. I mean, I loved watching it with my sons to say, man, that's, you know, that's not all marriage is, but thanks be to God, that's some of what marriage is. And it's, it's as wonderful as it looks right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jake, what are your other thoughts on this film? I don't have a lot of other thoughts. I really appreciated the action of it. And I remember mm. the first time I saw this was on your recommendation, Nathan. And yeah. you were like, hey, you know, this is just a solid movie. Both actually two of the movies that we have reviewed in this series, I watched on your recommendation, just in a, hey, this is sort of surprisingly solid and enjoyable top to bottom and a fun night at the movies, you know, for you and Amanda or whatever, good action. So that's really it. And I was also at the time he had just, you know, I think this movie had secured him, Indiana Jones. And so I was definitely watching it through that filter. And I liked the portrayal of masculinity and the action together and thought, you know, this guy might bring enough energy and excitement and freshness to Indiana Jones that it could actually be really great. could be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really it. Hey, can I ask, you said this was the second in the series that he'd recommended that you'd really liked. What was the other one? A Quiet Place was one that Nathan had recommended to mm-hmm. me before that had come up. So Probably the, what, the two mainstream movies I've ever recommended to you. I mean... Yeah, that's right. That's why they stick out in my mind. I mean, I've seen a lot of movies that you've recommended, um, but these are the kind of mainstream movies that I would have passed on, would not have bothered with without a recommendation, I think. And that's, hmm. that's why I think they stick out in my mind. 
you know, to it just sort of looked vanilla, just like a quiet place looked vanilla. And there's a sense in which you could you could argue that they both are kind of vanilla, but they're vanilla in a really fun, complete, well told, enjoyable. They're vanilla in a world without ice cream. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh, yum, vanilla. I haven't had this flavor forever. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, ice I mean, cream is still made. <laughs> ice cream is people are still eating ice cream. People are still hungry for this. And, and I will say, Jeff, the two scenes that you're describing—the fight in the the yard and the wife coming to him in the garage—are the two scenes that have stuck with me more than the racing, more than a lot of the other stuff in the movie. I forget who I was. I was hearing some person talk, and they were saying, "Oh, it was." I was watching a TED talk with either Lord or Miller, one of the two guys that are, did Spider Verse and all that stuff. And he was saying when they made Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, originally it was about this guy working out the science behind the clou- you know, the meatballs or something like that. And the producer came in and said, there has to be a relationship. There has to be a relationship. This has to be about people. And he said the big lesson that they learned. And then they made it like the guy's dad doesn't approve of him making cloudy meatballs or something. But, the, but they learned an important lesson, which is that m- movies and stories in general are never about ideas. They're always about relationships. And I think that is, you could argue with that as a 100% true statement. But I think that that is the key to why a movie like this works. We're actually sort of all enjoying and feasting on the relationship between the two men more than we are the actual, will Ford beat Ferrari? I mean, who cares? Who cares, really? (laughs) You care because it's an opportunity. And you might have already known. We probably already knew. Or you can look it up on Wikipedia anyway. That's never the point with a historical drama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And frankly, I, I am not a huge car guy insofar as I am a huge car guy. Ferrari. I mean, come on. I mean, not to be, I'm as patriotic as they come, but European cars are cooler than American muscle cars, I think. That might be blasphemy, Jeff. I, uh. no, I mean, even in this movie, again, the GT40 is this historically significant car, particularly in American racing, but when you're watching the movie, the Ferrari just, I mean, they're so beautiful. The aesthetics yeah. of the Ferrari leap off the off the screen at you. You know, my again, my sons, they're just to me like, Dad, look at those cars. I'm like, Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> the greatest movie car of all time is the Aston Martin DB5 mm-hmm. from Goldfinger, in my humble opinion. And it's a sleek, you know, European car. Like, I'm sorry, Ford's never made anything that comes close to the the beauty of like a for a, a classic Ferrari in, in my <laughs> humble opinion. So insofar as this is a movie about abstractions, I think the abstractions kind of don't work for me. But the like I don't care about Ford versus Ferrari. I'm not, you know, one of the reasons I was trepidatious about approaching this movie before I'd seen it was I was just like, this is obviously gonna be from the trailers like a dad movie, kind of a stick it to the man movie, but isn't Ford the man? Like sure. they're working for the man, sure. But then it turns out they actually do have to, you know, stick it to that man too, because you've got, as you say, the Josh Lucas. <laughs> that poor guy always plays the evil bureaucrat. <laughs> uh, yep, from from Hulk till now. Yes, he was the guy that wouldn't want to see the Hulk angry, and he did. <laughs> the BB family that he's playing a guy. I think it's Leon BB. Yeah, they're, Leo maybe. Is Leo it? maybe. Yeah, they were very upset about the movie. Of course, I'm not done the deep dive on this, but there's a great book on the same historical narrative, and it's called Go Like Hell. And everything in the book seems to indicate, you know, that's who BB was. Those guys are out there, man, and you got to have a game plan. Mm-hmm. You got to anticipate them, and you got to have a game plan to deal with them. And 
maybe the maybe you know as the cosmos bends towards justice, us looking back and seeing him in a movie like this is one of the ways that you know just desserts are doled out. Mm-hmm. I'm, I have two minds about it because sometimes I'll watch a movie like this and I'll say. Oh, well, you know, they're obviously just writing Josh Lucas to be a jerk just so that we can be happy when they, you know, when they I'm trying to think of a nice way to say what I'm trying to say when they get one over on him. And, and so that can be kind of annoying. But also, as you say, those people do exist. Some people just are bullies. Some people just are bureaucrats. You will encounter them. We've all encountered them in our lives and they are just as awful as a movie like this or a classic John Wayne movie where some guys like we don't want to stand up to the ranchers John Wayne those people do exist and so it is cathartic to deal with them did you Ben when you in your research did you encounter anything else that you thought was interesting about the fact and or fiction of Ford versus Fry uh, they I mean they hewed in terms of the characters of the men it looks like they hewed pretty close and you got Henry Ford, the second, pretty close. The VP, pretty close. Beeb, if that's how you pronounce his name. He didn't get locked in an office. Big shock. But yeah, like, like you're saying, Jeff, maybe he was, that was who he was. I don't know. The, what, what the movie does is it, se- it does what good movies like this do. From what I could tell, it simplifies historical stuff so that it can portray it more accurately in terms of the essentials of like who these people were and the kinds of tensions they had. So I was like, oh, this is cool. Looks like they did a good job. That's that's mostly what I found. It just made me have a little more respect for what the movie had done. Yeah, yeah. I like I, th- I think that that is what a movie should do. The other thing I want to say about this movie is I love it when Christian Bale has an opportunity to do a fun character. He has such a run of stern taciturn guys that don't talk kind of batman characters he did a couple westerns like that and different things but when he gets to be british and he gets to smile a little bit and have some energy and have some attitude he's such a likable guy and he doesn't get to tap into that likability very much or not as much as he should that's i would say it's one of my favorite roles of his he often doesn't get yeah he likes to play or at least he's typecast i think he must like it but he's he'll play extremes or he'll play characters that represent ideas more than characters who feel like people right looking at you bruce wayne looking at you i don't know any number of bail roles but um this one is more like oh he's playing a person it's fun yeah i think we're seeing the same thing with colin farrell as he embraces this stage of his career where he's the penguin and all this kind of stuff it's like this guy's a pretty great character actor that has been trapped as a leading man for a decade or two. And he's just, yeah, Hugh Grant actually is a perfect example of this in Dungeons and Dragons and Paddington too. It's like he is having so much fun playing characters and he was obviously so tired of being a leading man. And he's just so glad to have aged and gotten ugly and gotten out of that. And I think Christian Bale, same thing. Jeff, what kind of conversations would you have with your son based on this movie? Well, the conversations that I have had, my, again, my oldest son really resonated with this movie is... How old? 13. 13? Yeah, so Perfect. prime for the gearhead kind of deal. Mm-hmm. It, we've touched on a lot of that already. Hey, it's, it's a good thing to give yourself to a singular task, you know, that I think I came of age in the Young, Restless, and Reform movement, and the noble Christian life was like, sell everything and 
moved to Africa. And, you know, if you're not doing that, you're probably not radical enough. And I've since seen that, like, having a family, providing for them, trying to do well every, you know, Monday through Friday to make sure they have what they need from you and, and from the world as you provided is a noble thing. And so the vision of Ken Miles, you know, Ken Kennecott goes through this difficulty where he's really a singularly gifted racer, but the you know, he's not putting money, he's not putting bread on the table that way. So he makes a decision to serve his family, ends up getting a corporate gig and it works out. But I've talked to my sons about, hey, look, part of being a good man is just staying in the grind for what your family needs, showing them the beauty of home life. I mean, you know, I, I talked about the scene of dancing with the wife. She's not a pushover. I wouldn't commend a young lady to get her husband's attention the way that plays out in that movie. A little risky. But those are the kind of dynamics you're going to find in a marriage, and you need to be prepared for both. And then lastly, what we said about the bureaucrat. Like, you're not often going to run into an actual dragon. You're going to run into some smarmy dude who wants to manipulate your boss to put you in a bad spot. And you better be prepared for that. And you can't whine about it. And you can't say, well, golly gee, he's, you know, he's got me on the rules. You got to just press on and keep going. If the Lord's going to be kind enough to vindicate you, he will. But your job is to just keep pressing on. And I mean, honestly, legitimately, we watch this movie quite a bit when my son gets to pick. And so I'm kind of glad they're kind of being catechized in that world. Thankful for that. Any objections or warnings about this movie for people who haven't seen it? I mean, there's some bad language. I don't mean to downplay that, but I'm sure there's some foul language. I can't think of anything that stands out, but I mean, in terms... Life has bad language. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, for a mainstream movie, this is just a remarkably clean without being sanitized movie. I'm thankful that it popped out. (laughs) We get a lot of use out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Jake or Ben, before I want to say Indiana Jones thoughts, but any thoughts before those? I don't think so. All right. Well, what do you guys want to predict about Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny based on James Mangold and Ford versus Ferrari? Everyone has like a sheepish, sad smile on their face. (laughs) So (laughs) all three of you, (laughs) nobody wants to predict anything good, I guess. (laughs) I'd rather predict something bad and be surprised, pleasantly surprised. I mean, isn't the big question whether or not the rumors about the historic replacement are true? I mean, that, that kind of the whole movie hinges on whether that is what happens. You mean whether Phoebe Waller-Bridge is actually going to go back in time and erase Indiana Jones and have all his adventures? I mean, yeah, that's the that's what everybody's saying. And, and usually, if you think Disney's going to do the stupidest thing, that's what they do. They always do it. But every me and Jake have this conversation every time there's a big franchise movie. Jake's like, here's the absolutely garbage thing that someone with one brain cell would do. And so they're going to do it. And I'm like, yeah, but don't you think maybe there's someone with two brain cells? And Jake's like, no. And he's always been right. But I refuse refuse to think about this movie because I don't want to know. I don't want to figure it out the way that I have these other ones and also be preemptively disappointed i prefer to save my disappointment for the theater mm-hmm. but yeah Post-emptively i think th- I, yeah i think there's a reason why i don't want to think about this one so it's just too awful to like i mean we've been living in a world that's too awful to believe for a long time but you, uh, they're really gonna erase indiana yeah, jones they're, they're really gonna erase indiana jones <laughs> star wars yeah. indiana jones back to the future we're like but what they'll do is they'll erase him and then they'll replant him as han solo in a galaxy far away. Raise him from the dead. Uh, no, it's but, all going to tie in together into the larger Star Wars mm, canon now. 
James mm-hmm. Mangold made Ford versus Ferrari. He probably wants to make a good movie. But Disney wasn't in charge of it. I mean, you're back to the BB character now with him in real life. Like, you've got this guy mm-hmm. who wants to do something good, and he's got this towering corporate overlord monster, maybe making him a race. And he's going to cave. I know. I think he's going to take Bob Igor and get him in a. He's going to be a, a team car. player. No, he's, he's going to be gonna a team dr- player and take the money. No, he's going to drive Bob Igar really fast, and he's going to be like, oh, I see your point of view now, <laughs> James Mangold, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of horsepower. <laughs> the oh, magic my goodness. Of horsepower. He's oh, going to dr- be driving in a truck with him, and then he's going to throw him out the front of the truck, and then Bob Igar is going to slide under the truck, and it's going to be great. <laughs> Maybe they'll run from a boulder together, and then... Bob Iger will be like, all right, you can make a good Indiana Jones movie. I think you answer directly. It's answer directly to me from now on, Mangold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Bob Mangold, or J- James Mangold, in other words, learned nothing from his own movie and will no, he, like he, Superman on Laundry Day. No, nah, the thing he learned is to be content by being a team player and just be happy that he's able to go along and make an Indiana Jones movie. Not a great one, but he, he wasn't promised that. He was promised that he could make the movie. Oh my god! so that's the lesson that he taught us and that's the lesson that he's going to learn. That's the lesson he's going to show. And then he's going to think that he can leverage that into making a truly great movie afterwards and he's going to crash into a wall. And, blow and it's going to be over like, for Like his Star career. Wars Dawn of the Jedi. Yep telling you guys you have super depressed me man like super depressed me right there hey we're just uh, he's just using the structure of your favorite movie (laughs) yeah yeah thanks i appreciate that it feels nice when it's my own weapon (laughs) (laughs) maybe mr who's the mr ferrari in this analogy is there someone that's going to give him a sage little nod as he hangs his head in shame walking out of steven spielberg spielberg yeah (laughs) there you go no. <laughs> I did read, I, I didn't do any research, but I did read that there was a race later where Ferrari pulled the same trick and had three Ferrari drivers place first, second, and third, and Ford didn't even place. So there's another depressing coda that they apparently left out of the movie. Yeah, I'm but, super uh, thankful they left that out. I did not know that. And um, I mean, honestly, I would like to go back 10 minutes ago when I didn't know that still. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mr. Ferrari had great respect for Carol Shelby or whatever his name is. And he is men nodding at each other. I like a good movie where men nod at each other. We don't get them anymore. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. This has been fun. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate what y'all are doing. Keep up the good work. You do the same. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks again. Bye. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening. Thanks once again to Jeff Wright. And uh, you can support our work at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Be part of our Discord channel. Weigh in on what you want us to do and how you want us to do it. A good time will be had by all. Plus, we could really use your support to keep this podcast going. So give us a listen at patreon.com or give us your support at patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies. Until next time. Room, room.